0: All right, so we'll say good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Cheshvan. Mary Rachel Gold for dedicating all the Shurim and Dresho's this month in memory of Yonah Tzvi ben Yosef Chaimelazerah. To thank Noam and Leah Ephron for dedicating the Shurim and Dresho's this month in honor of the celebration of the 98th birthday of Noam's grandfather, Yosef Herschel ben Mordechai Halevi, to thank our Week of Learning sponsor, Jack Bennett, in memory of Givati Brigade Lieutenant Asaf Rosenfeld, and to thank our Dafyomi sponsor for today, Pinchas Levine, for Refua Shlema, for Yitzchak Ben Chaya Rachel. Also, well, we thank all of our sponsors, we hope in the Merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nisham, Aslav, and Aliyah, and those who require a refuah should have one together with Kol Chol Be'Yisro. And with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today lot to do today. Today's daf is Chavdalim, twenty-four, and we left off. Okay, we left off on Chav Gimel Amadez at the Gimara Ibayluhu. So, must remember again, the Mishnah said pretty much like in the middle of the daf. So, the Mishnah said that there was a Chutzar Gedol, there was a large, a large courtyard in Yerushalayim that the Mishnah co- said was called Beis Yazik. It's called Beis Yazeik. and remember again, the witnesses came there. That was the that was kind of the meeting point that was the meeting point in Jerusalem where everyone gathered to be ready for their Jushavachakira, their cross examination about their testimonies so it says what was the name of this place? Was it Beis Yasek with an ayin, or just base Yasek without the ayin? So the Gemara says Tnan base Yazik Tnan Lishna Maal So is it base Yasek with an ayin? In which case, again, the name has a positive connotation because the name comes from the, from, from the derivative of here. Gemara quotes the, the Pusik. So we'll say in this case over here, if you look at Rashi, Saviv, be eagle, means "to go ahead and surround an area with a fence. So if I ask means literally they surrounded it with a fence and they removed the rocks. They removed the rocks. So ultimately a prophetic reference to Yushalayim. So is it base Ya'azek with an Ayin? Representing that this was a great place that wasn't closed. Right? It was an enclosed area. Old Dilma base Ya'azek or maybe perhaps it's base yazik without an Ayin. In which case Lishna de Tsarahu, It represents a Lashon of Tsar, A of Suffering. How Lohki de V'hu asor ba'azakim. He was bound with chains. He was bound with chains. Am Rabbi tashma. So which one is it? So here's what's interesting. What the Gemara is asking was, how did Chazal kind of label or title this particular place? Did they call it a place of, of joy, right? Bes with an ayin. Or a place a little bit of like difficulty because everybody's stuck there. To which the Gemara says, Am tashma, sudo skidolos ha'yu osin what did the Mishnah say? They used to make beautiful su'udos in this place that people should, be, should, be, sh- should feel comfortable coming. They should come regularly. So the fact that they made su'udos, what does that sound like? That sounds like it was a pretty happening, happy place. But it's incredible. It's possible that the name of the place was both Yazek with an ayin and yazek without an ayin. Meaning what? It was very nice to be there because they were sudos kidolos. But at the same time, because they were confined, at least initially, to this place, it was a difficult situation to be in for an entire Shabbos. the Gemara just says it's possible that the gathering place had elements, ultimately, of Simcha and also of tsar, which is such an incredible musr, if one thinks about it, that sometimes in life, anytime you're in a situation that you don't want to be in, even if halacha l'maysa, it's objectively a good circumstance. If you don't want to be there, it could be an terrible incarcerating type feeling. So here you have a situation where these idem are coming, beautiful service. They're coming to go ahead and give eidos. there's beautiful seudos, but if you don't want to be there, then at the end of the day, it becomes a limiting, difficult, tsar-like existence. You know, we'll say, this is very quickly, Yisra Haim Chaim it's Zechazad Gribrachah, calls this idea, by the episode in the beginning of, right after David Amalek dies, and he, right, actually, I'm sorry, before David Amalek died, very quickly, he calls Shlomo to his bedside and gives Shlomo a series of instructions. One of the things he tells Shlomo is to take care of Shimi Ben-Gira. Shimi Ben-Gira was the individual who came and cursed David when David was fleeing of Shalom. And he goes ahead and he comes and he tells, he tells Shlomo take care of Shimi Ben Gira. Fine. David dies. First thing, what, first thing that happens is David summons Shimi Ben Gira. He says, "Here is the deal. I'm going to give you a palatial estate in Jerusalem, and I'm going to support you at the king's table." But I'm, I'm sorry, Shlomo, what did I say? Did I say David. Okay, sorry. So, so the idea. So Shlomo goes ahead and sh- summons Shimi Ben Gira and says, "I'm going to give you a palatial estate, support you at the table of the king. One condition: you can't leave Jerusalem." Can't leave Yerushalayim. So I'll say, I don't know about you. You had me at palatial estate. Actually, had me at Yerushalayim. And it doesn't. What? A, what a deal! What a deal! so Shimi Ben Gera says, fine, good. Next parak in Navi. What happens? Shimi Ben Gera's servant escapes. He goes ahead and he gets on the donkey, leaves Yerushalayim, runs after him, runs after him, gets, captures him, brings him back. Shoma says, we had a deal. You, you promised you would never leave Yerushalayim. He executes Shimi Ben Gera. Says says Shalabitz and Sikh Hosmosa. Obviously, this was a setup. In other words, Shalom knew what was going to happen. How did he know that Shimon Ben Gira was going to leave Yerushalayim? So Rechaim says something so amazing. He says, Yerushalayim is the most wonderful place in the world if you're there by choice. If you're there by choice. But the moment that someone tells you, you have to be somewhere, is the moment that you are going to find a way to flex your muscles of self autonomy as quickly as you can. He says the same way that little children love to say no. No, 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 no. Who are you? What are you talking about little saying no? Right, you're walking around in a diaper. You can't even take care of your basic hygienic needs. And you say no, no, like, like, you're, like you're the boss. It's incredible, because from the time that we're little, we like to feel that we're in charge. We like to feel, right? I, I, I'm, I'm the man, don't tell me what to do, I'm in charge. You take away a person's feeling of autonomy, they will find a way to flex those muscles. Shama Melech knew that if you tell Shimi Ben-Gera, you cannot leave Yerushalayim, it is only a matter of time until he leaves Yerushalayim. So it's an incredible yisod. You could have what is objectively wonderful circumstances. But if you don't want to be there, if you don't want to be in that situation, it becomes a confining prison. So the Gimara recognizes this dynamic. It's beis with an Ayin, because on one hand, beautiful, Edus, Sudos, it's beis without an Ayin, Sura, because ultimately you don't want to be there. Incredible so Says the Gemara. Sorry, says the Mishnah. How do you go ahead and, how do you go ahead and check, or ident- I should say, um, Examine the witnesses. So first of all, you take everybody in one at a time, right? With literally, the first, the first pair that comes, you bring them in first. Now, not as a pair, but individually. So the Gemara says, You bring in the senior, the senior member of the pair. Tell us. So if they ask him, what did, what did the moon look like when you saw it? was it trailing before the sun, after the sun, was it to the north of the sun, the south of the sun, how high off the horizon was it? In other words, from your perspective, right? how many, how high was it off the horizon? Where was it pointing? How wide was it? So, first of all, if a person ever says that the moon was leading the sun, that the sun was trailing the moon, we know already that he's lying. Then afterwards, they would repeat this same process with the second individual, right? With the second aid. If it turns out that the testimony of the two witnesses line up, Ultimately, anyway, we have a solid testimonial unit. We could be Makadish so HaKodesh. Ushar listen to this. So, here's what's fascinating. Ushar kol Zugos. What about all the other pairs of witnesses? Sholem osan Rashi Dvarim. So, here's what's fascinating. So, remember, again, you have this, you, you could have, I don't know historically, how many people showed up for Kiddush HaKodesh in general. But clearly, from the mission's perspective, you could have a lot of people showing up. So, imagine for a moment, you have a lot of people who showed up. But yet, you got everything you need from what? From the first set of witnesses, what do you do with everyone else? What is it, like jury duty, you know, thank you for your service, you know, thank you, go home. So, you know, here's the difference. By jury duty, you're relieved, right? You're besimcha when they tell you to go home, even though you did absolutely nothing. I mean, you did something by showing up, but you're more than happy to be excused after having shown up. But here, what they were concerned about was as follows. So the shakolat zukos, sholun osa rashi dvarim. They asked every pair of witnesses questions. Right? In other words, they did not just say, thank you for coming, thank you for your services. And they interviewed everyone. Again, not necessarily an exhaustive interview. <laughs> not because they needed these witnesses. <laughs> this is incredible. I will say, why They didn't want people to feel demoralized. Because think about this, especially whether it's a Shabbos or a weekday, if you traveled a long distance, and it, and it was hardship, and it was hardship, right? And it's true, if it's Shabbos, you got a su'udah out of it. But say it's a real to-do. And then you show up, and you, you're not even taken, you're not even interviewed. You're not even interviewed. So ultimately, again, people will just stop coming. So also, it's fascinating. So what would they do? They would interview everyone. So it turns out something really incredible, which is, it seems like, at the end of the day, no one necessarily knew who the witnesses were who actually allowed for the Bezdin Makadish In other words, after Bezdin interviewed everyone, they're going to see. They decided Makudosh. But love Dafka that anyone knew whose testimony it was that actually went ahead and solidified or allowed Bazin to make that decision. And therefore, what? Everyone feels Chashif. Everyone feels important. they're both say such an incredible Musra Haskil. If people feel extraneous, If people feel marginalized, if people feel unimportant, they'll just simply walk away. The isod again for Bayesian, which is the Yisod in general in community, is to make people feel that they matter. To make people, and this is so incredibly important, how do you make people feel like they matter? So again, on a most basic level, give them the time of day. We'll say, you know, in the we, speak, we were speaking about this last night, right? On a Shabbos, you go over, you say Good Shabbos to someone, you say Shalom Aleichem to someone, you offer them a seat, you offer them a Siddur. The worst case scenario is they say, by the way, I've been here for 30 years, right? You know, that, that's the worst case. But the best case scenario is, is you make someone who might otherwise feel marginalized feel chashav. Right, that's the incredible use. So let's see here, Bayesden. Well, doesn't have better things to do. They're literally, this is the possibility, they're they're going to interview hundreds of other people. Just for what purpose? So that no one should feel extraneous, insignificant, or marginalized. And by the way, the members of Bayesden are just as busy, if not busier than we are. And if they could take the time to make a Yid feel special, to make a Yid feel engaged, to make a Jew feel that he's part of the group, then how careful we have to be with that as well. Such an incredible yisod. Hainul says the gemara. By the way, the question of whether or not the moon was in front of the sun or to the north is the same thing. Hainul hainul drama. Similarly, again, after the sun or to the south is the same thing. Am says no. Is what it means. Pigi The gemara was asking as follows. The question they asked the edim was the indentation of the moon. Was the indentation before the sun or after the sun? So if they would say the indentation was before the sun, then we know the witnesses are lying. What does it mean when it says literally Hamshal, rulership, pachad fear? He makes peace. Says the Gemara, what does that mean? The sun never saw the indentation of the moon. So remember again, this goes back to Bereshis. Where there was tension between the sun and the moon, right? The moon says, Ein achas. two two monarchs can't go ahead and, and share the same crime, same crime, same crown. And the Qadish Praqi says to the moon, you're right. Umi go diminish yourself. So the Gemara says over here that the 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 indentation of the moon is never visible, so to speak, which means it's never in front of the sun. The idea being that the sun should never see the diminution of the moon out of a sensitivity to the moon. I will say, what an incredible and these are inanimate objects. Baruch who never wants it to be that the indentation of the moon is facing the sun. out covered to the moon. If that's the degree of sensitivity that the Rishonos Olam exhibits towards luminaries who have absolutely no feelings. Then how careful we have to be with the feelings of one another as well. And furthermore, again, the sun is also never facing the indentation or arc of a rainbow. Pigimasa the So ultimately, again, the sun never faces the indentation of the moon because this will be embarrassing for the moon. Pigimasa Shall Keshash, because remember again of the moon, unlike the sun, the moon unlike the sun, diminishes. Over the course of the month, the sun is a constant luminary. So it's the covenant for the moon, HaKadosh Baruch, who never puts the indentation of the moon before the sun. Pigi Shalkeshes, what about the bow? So why isn't the, we'll call it the indentation of the rainbow. Why does that never face the sun? So that sun worshippers should never say that the sun is shooting its ass. you both say, if the indentation of the rainbow would face the sun, it looks like the rainbow is the bow of the sun. This would seem to lend legitimacy to those who worship the sun, and therefore, Baruch Hu sought to avoid that. The next question was, how high was the moon off the horizon, and in which direction was it leaning? Tanah, sorry, Tanah, so we'll say, we have two opinions here. One says that if the moon, right, if if the aid said, that the moon was visible to the sun's north, then ultimately, again, his words are, are, his words are correct. But if he says that the moon was to the sun's south, that statement is meaningless, a false statement. But we learn just the opposite. That if a person said that the moon was to the sun's south, his words, are accepted, but if it was to the moon's north, his words are not accepted. Lokash, it's not a contradiction. Kan be kan be mos hagishamim. The Gemara says it's not a contradiction. One is talking about during the summer, and one is talking about during the winter. So both say, interestingly enough, the orientation will be different depending on the season. Good. Tan rabbonan, echad omer gavo'a omer gimo gimo so let's remember again. The other question that they asked, they asked the, they asked the Edim was how high off the horizon was the was the moon. So let's say one guy says, one eight says the moon was two mardos. Mardo marde is an ox code. Right? So if a person says oh it was the it was the the height of two ox codes. We'll say obviously this is from the person's perspective, right? From when I'm looking at the moon, how high it looks to me. So what the so eight one says it was two ox codes. omer gimmel the other guy says three that is considered to be an intact testimonial unit. Why? Why, I will say why? Because again, there's obviously, we understand two people are never going to perceive, especially measurement or distance in the same way. So as long as they are in the same ballpark, that's absolutely fine. So one says two, one says three, that works. However, hey But if one says... Two ox codes, or I should say three ox codes. and one says five, already, again, they can't combine, because that's too much of a differential. But remember, again, as we've seen, and this is really what's fascinating about this, even though, we'll call him, Reuven said it was three ox codes. Shivan said it was five, Ruven and Shivan can't combine with each other, right? But what can they do? What can they do? Combine with other people. Also, remember, again, that's the unique part of Eidos HaKhodash, which is you could combine with someone Even though you did not witness the event with that person. So, for, so for example, if Reuven says three ox codes, Shimon says five ox codes, they cannot combine to form a testimonial unit. But if there's, but if Levi says three, right, if Levi also says three ox codes, then Reuven and Levi could combine to form a testimonial unit. Incredible. We'll see a very interesting case. Let's say witnesses show up and they say like this. We didn't see the moon directly, but we saw the moon's reflection in the water. Right. So, in other words, I didn't see it, but I saw the moon's reflection in the water. Or we saw ra'ino Shajas. Literally, we saw, it, we saw its reflection in a lantern. Or of him. We saw it through in the clouds. In other words, that we didn't see the moon clearly, but we saw the moon was there through the clouds. So both say so. So that's not that's not proper edos. That's not proper edus. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says however, Chatsyav Bamayim, the Chatsyav Baavin, Chatsyav Bashash is in Meidan Similarly, if they said, we saw half the moon in the water, half the moon through the clouds, half the moon through the lantern, in Meidan Allah. <laughs> also, that doesn't work. So the Gemara says, that doesn't make any sense. So I'll we'll say, I don't understand. If it doesn't work to say I saw the full moon's reflection in the water or through the clouds or through the lantern, if that doesn't work, then what? Then what? Certainly seeing half of the moon reflected in the water, reflected in the lantern or through the cloud is not going to work. El Hakkar, listen to me say, it's fascinating. What it means is like this, we're both saying. What happens if you caught a partial glimpse of the moon reflected in the water, and a partial, and you actually saw part of the moon? So in other words, I saw part of it reflected, and I saw part of it with my own eyes. I saw part of it out of the cloud clearing, part of it in the clouds. Part of it reflected in the lantern, part of it regular. So does that work? To which the Gemara says no. So they both say, these are two cases over here, right? So case number one, case number one is that halacha l'maysa even if you saw the moon in its entirety, but you didn't see it directly, you saw it reflected, or you saw it through clouds, that will not work. Similarly, if you saw half of the moon normally, and half of it reflected, that will not work as well. Next case, Ten This is fascinating. What happens if witnesses say, we saw the moon, but then we didn't see it anymore. We saw it, but then we didn't see it again. Amy Idan this does not work. Right? They cannot give testimony based on this. So the Gemara says, what does that mean? what does it mean? That witnesses have to be constantly looking at the moon? In other words, like the pashtos. The way this works is how you see the moon, and then what? And then what? You move on with your life. In other words, you're not standing there staring at the moon. I mean, that's beautiful and everything. But the mice you go, you got to get to you you have things to do. So what does it mean? In other words, that isn't that the typical case. We saw it and then we stopped looking. So what does it mean, so this is incredible. So both say this is fascinating. What does it mean? It means that the witnesses say like this. We were looking, just kind of just thumb looking around and we happened to see the moon. We happened to see the moon. But then what? But then what? Then we realized, oh, Rosh Chodesh. So we looked again, this time really in order to be able to look for the purpose, ultimately being able to give Eidos. And what happened? When we look back, we couldn't find it. We couldn't find it. So we saw it, We know we, and we know what we saw. But when we saw it the first time, we were kind of just glancing, right? Just looking around, and it happened to come within our ocular range, right? And then when we tried to look back to see it again. We could not find it. This does not work. This does not work. They can't give this based on this. Why? So, Because maybe what they ended up really seeing the first time was, literally literally translated, is a sliver of a white cloud. In other words, maybe what they thought was the moon was not really the moon was not really the moon at all. And therefore, by definition, because there was no Das, they cannot go ahead and give Edos. So we'll say, really fascinating halacha, which, which again, it makes sense. In other words, in general, in order to be able to give, what the Gemara is saying is, in order to be able to give Edos on the Chodesh, you would have to really go ahead and be looking at the moon for the purpose of really seeing the moon. But if you just happen to see the moon, and then when you look back again, you couldn't find it, it's just as possible that you really didn't see the moon the first time, but rather you saw something that looked like the moon. It requires kavana, which I will say, is such an incredible yesod in life as well, because sometimes we see things, and we kind of see things in passing, and we think as a result of just seeing something in passing, we see someone do something, we see someone act a certain way, we observe a particular event, and we think we have it all figured out. When in fact, the Gemara says, if you're just if you looking at something in the kavana, and you're really concentrating, and you're really focusing. Maybe you could find. Maybe you could understand what it is. And even then, you have to go to baisin for drushavachakira, right? You have to really make sure that what you saw is what you really saw. But all the more so, if you just kind of see things casually, you happen to observe something, you happen to hear something, you happen to see something. Don't rely on your perception of events to create a reality. Because more often than not, what you, be, what you tend to see and to take in casually is not taken in with a discerning eye. And what you see is often not necessarily what the truth is. An incredible, you for how we interact with each other and how we just look at different situations in life. Mishnah. Rosh Bezdin, Omer Mekudosh. So we we'll so now at this point now we're moving forward. Right? So, we're, so the testimony has been accepted. Everybody has been interviewed. Rosh Bezdin, the head of the Bezdin says, Mekudosh. He declares the new month. V'chala'am onin acharov me'kudosh me'kudosh And everyone answers after him. Mekudash Mekudash sanctified, sanctified. Now the Mishra say Bain Shinira Bismano. Bain Shiloh Nira Bismano So the Tanakhama says the process of Kiddush Akhodesh as outlined so far is followed. Whether the moon was seen in its time, that remember again, that wash of Nira Bismano means what? On night thirty. On night 30. So, whether the moon was seen on night 30, in other words, I should say it differently, this process is done whether basically is declaring the new month on day 30 or on day 31. Okay? Rebel Azab and Rabbi Saddock Omer, no. Rebel Azab and Rabbi Sadak says, no, that is incorrect. The only, This is fascinating. Rabbi Azab says, the only time Kiddush Chodesh is done is when Rabbi Osai? On day 30. On day thirty, why there's no kiddush cholish on day thirty-one? Why is there no kiddush cholish on day thirty-one? Because the system takes care of itself. Because if I recognize that no month could be longer than thirty days, by definition of basin has not declared the new month on day thirty then again, by definition, day 31 is Rosh Chodesh. And Rabbi Allah, Zerah says, there is no need for any process. That is a de facto process that happens without the basin. So Rabbi said, this is really fascinating. So you have the Tanakh saying, Kedush HaChodesh is always done. This process of the Rosh basin saying the Kudosh, everyone else saying the Kudosh, the Kudosh, this is done whether they're declaring R- 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 Rosh Chodesh on day 30 or day 31. Rabbi Allah, says, no, only if they're doing it day 30. But if they haven't declared something on day 30, Day thirty one is de facto Rosh Chodesh, says the Gemara. Rosh beis min hanimili. So I'll say from where, where where do you know this process about Makudosh, 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 where, where does all this come from? Min hanimili. So says the Gemara. So, so we'll say, the Yosi ben Kra Moshe 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 the Moshe 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 she based in Omer Mekudosh. Right, from here we'll say we learn, that it's literally quite amazing. By right. right. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Moshe, Moshes, Mo'ade Hashem. Moshe, you spoke it out, from here we see that the Rosh Based Din remember, remember again, the Gemara throughout this Suga is using Moa Hashem, to Dei Hashem to referring to Rosh Chodesh. Because why, why is that? Even though again, that's not the Pasha B'sha, the Pasek. Moa Hashem is referring to the Yom Tovim, because remember again, the Yom Tovim are determined by... Rosh So therefore, again, Vayda Reb Moshe. This is where we learn that the Rosh Basin says Mekudosh. Incredible. Says the Gemara Cholah. am on an Achav Mekudosh, and everyone answers afterwards Mekudosh, Mekudosh. Minolan. From where do you know this? Amorai Papa Amakra Asher Tikruu Because the puzzle is Daibre Bnei Yisav Amar Tallei Moadei Hashem Asher Tikruu Osum. The cloud. Also has to call out the Mo'adim. So the Gemara says, Kare bay atem. Instead of saying Osam, vocalize it as atem. Right? You have to call out the Mo'adim as well. And hence, hence, Klaud Israel says, "Whoever's is there says m'kuddosh, m'kuddosh. yomru mo'adai. So what does it mean, Elhei Mo'adai? They should call out, the people should call out Mo'adai. There's an obligation for the people to say, Mekudosh, Mekudosh. So the Gemara says, Mekudosh, Mekudosh, T'shre L'Amali Mali So now I know the Rosh Basin says, Mekudosh. I also have the people have to make some type of verbal affirmation of Mekudosh as well. Why do they have to say, Mekudosh, Mekudosh, two times? D'chsev, Mikro'i Kodesh. Because we will say the way the Lashon of the Pasach is Mekorai Kodesh, holy convocations, right? Right? holy pronouncements, and it says it in the plural. So from there we see they say Mekodosh, Nikudash. we'll say, and also just a generally fascinating Yisod about how there has to be a declarative statement of sanctity. You know, we do this every single week by Kiddush, right? Isn't this the essence of Kiddush? Right? Why didn't we Kiddush? Shabbos is sanctified whether I do anything or not. So the Sefer HaKinuch explains that there is a concept, ultimately again, of me par- participating in the verbal sanctification of the day. The Kiddushah of the day becomes real when I articulate it. In general, things in life become real when you articulate it. You know, there's an important yisod in the realm of human relationships. Right, that often we assume that people who we love know how we feel about them. I don't have to tell you I love you. You know that I love you. Yes, you do have to tell your wife. Yes, you do have to tell your kids and repeat it times each and every day because even though something is true without articulating it, articulating it, giving it verbal form, births it, gives, brings it into the world of reality. Such an incredible, important you sowed. It's real, it's true, but until you say it, it doesn't take on the total reality. So again, you see over here, Chazat, the Torah is building this into the system. The Rosh B'ezdin has to say Makodosh. Everyone else has to say Makodosh, Makodosh. I the Eidos was accepted. We're good to go? No, because in life, full Kiddushah really only actualizes when it's articulated. Because once it's articulated is when it becomes real. So the Yemar goes right there. Now, this is really fascinating. So, so this is really fascinating. says, there is no Kiddush Shachodesh in a 30-day month. Right. In other words, once the, once the month is 30 days, Rosh Chodesh by definition is day 31. There is no need for this process. Bezin does not do Makadish Chodesh. So the Gemara says, Tanya, Plimo Omer, Bezmano in Makachinos, so, so Plimo says, on day 30, Bezin does Kiddush Chodesh. On day 31, they don't. Rabozer Omer, Beinkach, Ubinkach in Makachinos, so, we'll so this is pretty wild. Rabbi Lazar holds, in general, Rabbi Lazar holds, in general, not Rabbi Lazar Bartolik. this is a different Rabbi Lazar, holds that in general, there is no concept of Kiddush HaKodesh, <laughs> which is interesting. In other words, that this whole thing that we're outlining over here, you don't need based in making any formal pronouncements or anything like that. This whole thing is unnecessary. Why? Because the Pasuk says, you shall sanctify the 50th year, the Yoval year. What do we learn from there? Rabbi Lazar says, from here you see, The only thing you have to sanctify in halacha are years. You don't have to sanctify months. (laughs) I'm Rabbi Yudar Mishmuel, halacha k'rabalazer v'art tzadok. And Rabbi Yudar Mishmuel, that the halacha f'rabalazer v'art tzadok in our Mishnah, namely that what? Kiddush HaKodesh is only done when? Only done when? On day 30. But if it's going to be a 30-day month, and Rosh Chodesh is going to be on day 31. There is no need for Bezdin to engage in this Kiddush process because the month itself is already sanctified. So the Gemara's Om um Rabbi, we learn this as well. Rauhu Beisden, V'chol Yisro, Chol Yisro, If the Bezdin saw the new moon, and all of Kladl Yisro, and the witnesses, right, went through the Jishof they were cross-examined, and found to be valid, Shalom said listen to this interesting case It's day 30 It's day 30 now right Witnesses saw the moon the night before They show up in Bezdin. So now on day 30 They're going through the whole process And again Testimony has been accepted We're ready to go But the Rosh Bezdin Didn't get a chance to say Makudash Before nightfall came along So now it's effectively what It's now what yeah, it's Day 31 on. It's considered to be a full month and Rosh Chodesh will not be until day 31. In other words, that Allah if the Rosh Basin doesn't say Mekudosh, it's not Mekudosh. It's not Mekudosh. Even though, again, in this case, all the ingredients were here, right? The witnesses came, their testimony was accepted, we are ready to go. Mo'ober in Mekudosh lo. So we'll say, what do you see from here? You see from here that Halach it's Mo'ober. Now we'll say, what that sounds like is, does Beisdun have to do anything on day 31? Do they have to do anything on day 31? No, it sounds like it's a de facto state. Once you don't do Kiddush HaChodesh on day 30, by definition it is a pregnant month, so to speak, right? It's a complete month of 30 days. And day 31, by definition, is Rosh Chodesh without Beisdun doing anything. Mo'ober in lo, to which the beis <laughs> Yisrael if ars lebrua. In this case is necessary, why? Because you would have thought in this kind of case... Where everyone saw the moon, right? Everyone is prepared. The has already came. That Alach it should just already be Rosh Chodesh on day thirty. Kamash Malon, without the Rosh, based in saying Mukudosh, it will not become Rosh Chodesh. will say, how do we pass in this area? Because this is, this is really a fasting Alacha. So remember again, you have a Tanakhama saying that no matter when Rosh Chodesh falls out, day thirty or day thirty-one. Beisdin is going to go through this process. Rabbi Eliezer saying no, it's only if Rosh Chodesh falls out on day 30 that there's a Kiddush Chodesh process. If Rosh Chodesh is going to be day 31, Beisdin doesn't have to do anything because effectively the calendar takes care of itself. So, says, so the Rambam in Hilchos Kiddush Chodesh, Perek Beis, Halacha says, as, Halacha Ches says as follows. I'm going to skip to the middle. He says, he says, Ve'ein Mekachin um, let me skip a little bit. Uh, uh, sh- oh, one second. I'm sorry. It's one line. That's the line i Again, it's four lines. In, well, a couple lines in. And the only time Bezin goes through this aforementioned process of Kidush HaChodesh is when witnesses saw the moon on night 30. If they saw the moon on night 30, they show up to Bezin sometime on day 30. We go through the process as outlined in our previous Mishnayis. Basin Rosh Ab says, Mekudosh, 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 and we're good to go. But if this did not happen on day 30, by definition, day 31 is Rosh chodesh and I don't need this entire process. Salach alamay said that Rambam Paskins like Rabbi Lohazer Bar Beautiful. Mishnah. Dimos Tzuro Slavana Hayyelo Rabbi Gamliel B'tavla U B'Kosa. So let's listen to this. So now, Rabbi Gamliel used to have images of the moon. And the Agorah Svitium, they say Baliosa H'tav He had these images on the moon on a tablet that was hanging on the wall in his office, in his room. And what would happen? said, Yotos, So he would have a tablet with images of the moon, and when the witnesses would come, he would ask them, did the moon look like this? Did the moon look like this? Okay. Says the Gemara, said, Yotos, Omer Fine. One second. Are you allowed to make images of the moon? Are you allowed to, said, this is now really a fascinating sugya. Are you allowed to make images of the moon? So the Gemara says, so we'll say the rest of the postak is, it, Do not make with me, HaKadosh Baruch, who says, gods of gold or gods of silver. So the Gemara says, kidmus Do not make images like my servants. Which the Gemara is understanding over here to be a reference to the sun and the moon. You are not allowed to make images of the celestial, of the celestial bodies. No, so the Gemara says, "Amrabaye lo asra Torah elas shamoshin she'efshalas oskimosan." No, no, Sabayes is first of all. You're only not allowed to make images of things whose image you could truly replicate. Let's give some examples like that. yo, lo yaase Adam bayes tavnis hechal. The boss, is very important halacha. You are not allowed to make a home that looks like the base hamikdash, right? So you have a great idea. You know what? I'm going to go ahead. I love the base hamikdash. I miss the base hamikdash. I'm going to make a mini base hamikdash for myself. You cannot make a home structure, a home that looks like the base hamikdash or heichal, achsadra, or to go ahead and make a portico, right? An achsadra that looks like the heichal, the antechamber of the mikdash, tavnis ulam. Right, you cannot go ahead and make a courtyard that resembled the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash. Sorry, I read it wrong. Right. You cannot make a shulchan in your house that resembles a shulchan in the Beis Hamikdash. Menorah, kineged menorah. You cannot make a menorah in your home. This is very important You Cannot make a menorah that looks like the menorah of the beis hamikdash. So the idea is, you're not allowed to replicate certain things that are. So I'm we'll now. Here, the example is all beis hamikdash focused, right? You not cannot make a replica of anything used in the mikdash for your own personal use. So what can you do? I'm sorry. So halachic discussion. But let's say in the menorah case, what you can do is you can make a menorah that has five branches, six branches, eight branches, shiva lo yasa. you cannot make a seven-branch menorah. This is very important halacha, right? Which is, again, it's not a big deal because remember our observance of Hanukkah, we have menorahs and eight-branch menorah, but a person cannot make a seven-branch menorah. Now, listen to this. And by the way, even out of other forms of metal. So you would think like this. Maybe the only prohibition to create a seven-branch menorah is if what? It's, if it's made of gold, like it was in the Beis HaMikdash, to which the Gemara says, no, even if it's made of a different metal, you still can't do it. Rebo said, this is an incredible Gemara. Forget about metals. You can't even make a seven-branch menorah out of wood. Now, why not? i will say, this is an incredible Gemara. We have, if you remember again, I know you remember, we actually had this Gemara in Menachos. Remember? Excellent. All right, so I said, I watched this. So listen to this. You're going to remember as soon as you read it because there's not a lot of Gemaras you remember from Menachos. But this one I'm going to remember. The Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says... You can't even go ahead and make a menorah out of wood. A seminary of wood. Why? Because we'll see how beautiful this is. When the Chashlana, when the Maccabim first defeated the Syrian Greeks and they came into the Beis HaMekdash, so there's a part of the story that no one realizes, which is everyone focuses on the absence of oil in the Mikdash there was something else that was missing. Namely what? The menorah. Right? The menorah was made out of solid gold. Anything that was worth anything in the mikdash was carted off by the Syrian Greeks. So forget about finding oil. Forget about finding oil. There was not a menorah in the mikdash. So what did the chashmonei Listen to how beautiful this is. What did the chashmonei do? So the Gemara says, So the chashmonei will say, made a menorah out of wood. Well, we'll see actually what they did. They made a menorah out of wood. So the Gemara says, misham raya. Is that true? That's, that's what they did? Misham raya she put in zahayu. So we'll say, here's what's interesting. There's two versions of this. In the first version, the Chashmonaim, when they, came, when they first came back to the Mikdash, made a menorah of wood. Now I saw something beautiful. The Sfas Emma says, why did they make it out of wood? There's a practical reason why they made it out of wood, which is why, which is why? Wood is not Meqabal Tumah. Wood is not Meqabal Tumah. They were all Temei Mesim. Remember again, this has to do with the oil as well, right? This idea that producing oil in a state of Tarah, So they were Temei Mesim. So the Sa'a says, they made the menorah out of wood so that the menorah itself would not contract Tumah. Would not contract Tumah. So the Gemara says, so the Amrilo, there's an alternate version. Mishamraya shi put You know, they didn't make the menorah out of wood. They made the menorah out of shipudin shal barzel. Shipudin shal barzal are spits of iron, which sounds a lot like spears. Sounds a lot like spears. So they made the first menorah out of spears, <laughs> out of pieces of iron. The chippum, that what happens? The hipum babatz. And then later on, they coated it in t'baaz's tin. He they became a little wealthier. Asom Shall kasef they coated it with silver, they made it out of silver, chazur and then sometime later on, asoom shel zav. Ultimately, again, they made it out of gold. So I'll say, isn't all, just, isn't this an incredible gemara? The chashmonoim come back that first Hanukkah, and what do they make the menorah out of? Either potentially out of their spears, out of just pieces of metal, or out of pieces of wood. Which I'll say, such an incredible yisod. I I want to point out, What's the halacha, by the way, if you don't have a proper klisharist? What's the halacha if you don't have a proper klisharist in the of mikdash? What's the halacha? You don't have to do the avoda. The same thing, by the way, what happens if you don't have virtually pure oil? What's the halacha? You don't have to kindle the menorah. We'll say the entire yesod, it's, it's not for now, though it's good. It's almost Rosh Chodesh Kislev, so it's good to get started in Chanukah. The entire yesod of Chanukah is doing the best with what you have at hand that is the entire Yosot of Chanukah. We so often think that in order to go ahead and produce results, you need, you need perfect circumstance, right? I need everything in place in order to become the best version of myself, in order to accomplish. Well, you never have everything in place. The whole Yosot of Chanukah is take what you have, take whatever life has given you, take whatever circumstances are present and maximize them. Don't lament how compromised they are, don't lament how unfair it is, Take what you got and make something happen. That's the entire Yusot of Khanakul. You've got wood, make him out right of wood. You have spears, make them out right of spears. When your circumstances improve, says so you'll you, you, you up your game a little bit. But right now, take whatever you have and create light. So the Gemara says, so remember again, let's get back to our issue. We're bothered by the fact that Rabbi Gamliel is making images of the moon. Because bepashtos. that doesn't seem to be right. So the first answer the Gemara wanted to give was as follows. The only time you're not allowed to make replicas of things that serve God is when they're replicas that you are capable of making. So for example, I can't make a house that looks like the Beis HaMikdash. I can't make a menorah that looks like the menorah of the Beis HaMikdash. But things that you can't really replicate, like the moon, like the moon... I can't replicate the moon. I can't do that. So that, the Gemara wants to suggest, should be permitted. So the Gemara says, Is that true? That just because you can't fully replicate something, that, right, one of the servants or attendants of God, that you're allowed to make it. Vatanya, we learned, this is incredible. Lo sasun don't go ahead and make with me. Lo sasun kidmos shamashai, hamisham says, Do not make replicas of my servants in the heavens. So don't make a replica of the sun. Don't make a replica of the moon. So um, Abayi says, Abayi says, Lo asra elo, demus So Abayi says, this is actually a very specific prohibition to make to make something that has four faces. Now, what is this talking about over here? So this is referencing the prophetic vision of Yechezkel that talks about the throne of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Nebi speaks about the idea that on the throne of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there are four faces, right? The face of an Adam, a person, the face of a shar, an ox; an Ari, a lion, and the nesher, an eagle. So Abaye says, you cannot go ahead and make the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's celestial throne. So you can't make a four-faced entity that makes it looks like you're creating HaKadosh Baruch Hu's throne. But everything else is going to be okay. Elamyata, really? Elamyata based on this. Pirtsuf Adam tishdari. are you allowed to make a human image? Is that true? Are you allowed to make are you allowed to make a human image? So the Mursa Allah, why did we learn? Kala Pirtsufahus Mutarin. Khutzmi Pirsuf Adam. In general, you could make an image of the face of any other creation, but you are not permitted to make the image of a man. I well say, you can't make it the image of a man, said so the well say Now again, this is absolutely a fascinating sugya, like what are we talking about over here? Are we talking about like a painting? We're we talking about a photograph? But Pashto's not, what are we talking about? Three dimensional images. Right? So you can't have a three-dimensional image of a human face. You are not you are not allowed to possess that. That ultimately like a little a little Buddha sculpture, right? Besides the devil, there's a component of it. Right? Or or any imagery that's three dimensional of a human being, because then we're, we're 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 unfortunately kind of tiptoeing into the realm of idolatry. Again, there's a lot of halo that i are not gonna to get to, but we're outlining the major issues. Amrafunbra of Idi, may may me pure I'm sorry. Amra Amrafun Raider may Pigar the Abai Shmiali. From the sheer of Abaye, I heard the following: "Lo iti" means "Lo saasun osi." When a Kaddish Baruch Hu says, "Don't make with me," the way it's supposed to be read is "Lo saasun osi." Do not make me. Now I'll say, "What does that mean? Do not make me." Do not create the image of a human being which is like me. What does this mean? So the Masha points out over here that often when Akkadish Baruch Hu would go ahead and appear to people, would appear to us, he would appear in the image of a human being. Right? So, for example, by the Yamsuf, right? Chazal tell us that Akkadish Baruch Hu appeared like a young soldier. By Har HaKadosh Baruch Hu appeared like an old man. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, do not make the image of a human being, because that is Keviyocha, like making the image of HaKadosh Baruch Ushar Mishari. So, okay, it sounds like over here, the only thing you can't make is a human image. But let's get back to our regularly scheduled program. So I guess that means I can make an image of the sun. I can make an image of the moon. Vatanya, we learned. Lo sasun iti. Lo sasun kidmus shamashayim shamshedafane be morob. Beatrabose, we learned that when it's lo sasun iti, means, do not make the image of my servants in the celestial sphere, like the sun and the moon. Kigon. Ofanim, usrafim, the chayas akodesh, umalachayashares, angels. Do not make images of angels. Am rabaye, lo asra torah, elashamashin, sheba madra ha elion. So only the Torah, only aser things. That live in the upper celestial sphere. What lives in the upper celestial sphere? That seems to be the Malachim. Rashi says over here. So, we'll say, so again, what can't you make? The things that live in the upper sphere. What lives in the upper celestial sphere? Malachim. What dwells in the lower celestial sphere? Sun, moon, stars. Those you can make. Is that true? You can make things that live in the lower celestial sphere? That's how we learn. When it says in the Shamayim, that comes to include that you cannot make an image of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And ultimately, again, when it says above, means you can't make an image of the Malachim. When we're talking about that, what we we'll means to worship So We'll have to stop over here for today. So I'm going to stop kind of mid-sentence. So we'll say, see, here's what we're holding. We know what the Torah tells us, that I cannot make the image of the servants of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. See, here's what we know so far. The things that I'm clearly able to replicate, like physical structures, Abbas Hamikdash, menorah, Shulchan, that I know I can't make. The Shaila is what about the other servants of Akadish Hu? Namely, again, specifically, the servants of Hashem that dwell in the celestial sphere. Now we've been identified. There are two levels of the celestial sphere. There's the upper sphere. Who lives in the upper sphere? Who's the upper sphere? Malachim. Who lives in the lower sphere? Or what, what exists in the lower sphere? Sun, moon, stars. What the prohibition of creating items, which sphere does it reply to? Ultimately, we'll finish this sagi tomorrow. say.